The Last Word with Matt Cooper. So let's start with the latest in relation to Israel's bombardment of Gaza, which, as we've heard from Ben, has cost at least 10,000 lives so far. We'll be getting a bit of a military analysis in a second, but we're first going to Israel to journalist Orly Halpern, because, Orly, there's a lot of attention in Ireland been focused on the plight of those who were kidnapped by Hamas, including an eight-year-old Irish-Israeli girl, Emily Hand, who had been believed dead, but now may actually still be alive, but one of those kept captive by Hamas. As Israel continues its military offensive, what efforts have been made to actually rescue or negotiate the release of these hostages? And how much priority has been given by the Israeli government to that? That's an excellent question. Um, They have gotten back some Israeli commandos went to Gaza a few weeks ago and round just close to the border. Somehow they had information and they retrieved some bodies. Um, but, uh, for, we, we don't really know what's happening in terms of their search. We, we know that for example, there were forces that went into Gaza and are in Gaza. They were using some special high technology to try to find where there was where people might be underground in tunnels. Um, but of course, how would they know who was actually, who was actually, um, a Hamas militant or another group militant versus, versus a hostage? And so a lot of that is being kept under wraps in terms of Israel's technology and how it's trying to find out um, where these people are. Uh, and in term, but in terms of negotiating, Israel has been very clear. Uh, it will only allow uh, ceasefire if all the hostages are released. And that is not something that Hamas is willing to do. Uh, obviously, these hostages were, were, were taken so that they, and it was said that they were taken so that they can be exchanged for Palestinians in Israeli prisons. Um, so from the point of view of the families, and just today I was, I was at the, I was at the, the a place, a kibbutz in the center of the country where, um, a survivor of the attack, the October 7th attack is staying with her, with two of her children. One of her children was kidnapped as well as her husband. Um, and from their point of view, they, they don't think that enough is being done. They, she said in the beginning, you know, we just expected it was, it, we expected that with, you know, this situation cannot be that children are being held hostage. She said that even when it was happening, she asked the, the, the militants who were taking her, she actually escaped off, um, in the midst of, of the hostage taking. She escaped with her toddler and her daughter, but her son was on another motorcycle with other militants. And she said, take me, but leave the children. And she said she couldn't understand how the situation could be could could it just how could these children you know this her son is without his mother and he was separated also from his father who was shot that how could the situation be and i think what's really interesting here is this sense of disconnect you hear from the israelis the israelis who who you know survived a massacre at a music festival or the ones in the kibbutz or the ones who have the parts of their families members of their family hostage in 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 Gaza 
And Israelis are in a sense of shock. They cannot believe that, that, that this happened to them, that these atrocities happened to them, that they, that these people, their people are in there. And so many of them were killed 13 or 1400. At the same time, they, many of them are almost blind to what, um, to the civilian casualties on the Gazan side, what, what the Israeli army is doing. Um, because they, they, they say they, they don't know what else can be done. They said, we want our people back and we want Hamas eliminated. So what are we supposed to do? And, and they say that, you know, they hear in the work, they see on television that there are all these supportive protests for the Gazans and they feel that they're being ignored, that their own trauma is being ignored, that what happened to them, that 1,300 people were killed in one day and just gunned down, that why isn't the world seeing that? Okay, Orly Halpern, we're having a little bit of difficulty on the line, so we'll leave it there with you. Thank you. So Patrick Bury, as a former NATO advisor and defence and security expert at Bath University, can you explain what the Israeli thinking is in encircling Gaza City and effectively breaking it into two North Gaza and South Gaza? I can, Matt. Good afternoon. Um, essentially, their their overall strategic aim, as they've stated, their first priority is to destroy Hamas. Now, whether that's possible is, a, is another question. But the way that they've set up the operation, as you said, attacking from both the north on two axes of the Gaza Strip, east and west, uh, and then also at about one third down, just below Gaza City, straight across. And what they're trying to do is essentially force, cut off Hamas's retreat and force them to fight to stand and fight. And that is their best chance of eliminating them. Of course, then Hamas have a choice of whether they actually want to stand and fight or whether they try to get out of there. So far, it seems that they're doing the the um, the former. They're standing and fighting. But that, of course, brings a lot of risk for Hamas because the Israelis have overwhelming firepower. So if they do stand and fight, like, say, ISIL did in Mosul, um, the, the Israelis can, and as we're seeing, you know, with the horrific um, impact on civilians, they can bring that part of the Gaza Strip down around... Hamas's ears essentially. When you say overwhelming firepower, describe that a little bit. Is it in the weight of numbers of people, as in soldiers, and what sort of difference would there be in weaponry? So it's it's not so much. Obviously, Hamas we think were somewhere between you know fifteen to thirty thousand fighters at the start of this, and the Israelis have actually a large military, one hundred and eighty thousand odd, of which they've called up about three hundred, three hundred and fifty thousand reservists. But they ha- they can't just put all them into the Gaza Strip. They've got other concerns, as we know about, um, including Lebanon and the West Bank. So they'll be spread out. So maybe it's more like a hundred thousand that could be moving in here. And so far, we haven't seen those numbers committed. I don't think so. That's it on the personal. Um, on the weapons, it's Israeli, you know, they have a very capable air force with numerous different bombs. We're seeing them dropping 2,000 pound bombs. Um, it looks like they've used bunker busters. Um, obviously, one of Hamas's tactics is to put the tunnel entrances under buildings, which um, makes it difficult to bomb. So it's a, it's, it's a, um, it's a, it's a dilemma, obviously, for, for Israel. And they've, they've clearly decided that's because their number one strategic aim is to destroy Hamas. Their, their second and third priorities, I think, are hostage 
safety and civilian casualties. So that's how they're they're using that overwhelming uh, firepower advantage, especially bombs at the moment. Um, when it comes down to the individual soldiers on either side, what we've seen so far, we've seen a little bit of footage emerge of Hamas using drones and dropping um, grenades from them to some effect. Uh, we've seen some interesting footage of them of what looks like Hamas fighters coming out and using um, uh, their own kind of rocket-propelled grenade, uh, which they've sort of jerry-rigged um, to, to try to destroy. And they've definitely disabled some of these Israeli tanks, which are widely considered one of the best in the world. Um, but overall, Hamas have relatively light weapons, um, just light machine guns. We haven't even seen any real heavy machine guns yet. They're not the force that Hezbollah is. So really their only hope, if they want to inflict major casualties on, on the Israelis, is to fight in an urban environment where they have the advantage of either the tunnels, rubble, um, they know where the attackers are coming from and they know how they can defend their buildings, etc. That's how you offset. But it's a very, very difficult thing for Hamas to do. Patrick, I think we're moving in. Yeah, go ahead. Sorry, given your expertise in all of this, do you think the use of force by Israel constitutes war crimes? So I think it's moving towards that. I think so. That, and it's interesting that Blinken was over obviously yesterday uh, and the day before speaking to the Israelis. And obviously he had the mind and we've just hit that 10,000 casualties. Um, the Israelis say essentially it's about the you must because the, the international law is about you must take due concern of civilians and try to act in a way that, you know, limits the risk to them. Now, so then it gets into a targeting process. And then that becomes quite subjective about what is the acceptable level of risk from each bomb you drop, if you're, say, going for a Hamas commander or if you're going for a logistics node. And I think this is where the Israeli interpretation of acceptable number of Hamas deaths is completely different to the rest of the world, to be honest with you. And if, for example, the Americans would be doing this when there were um, when there were civilians, say, where I fought in Afghanistan, you know, it, 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 I, literally you couldn't kill a civilian. Of, you know, if there was any risk, the mission eventually got called off. You know, that was the kind of um, the, the kind of stringency of the rules of engagement which developed, especially sort of twenty twelve around then. And of course, the mistakes happen, etc. But that's the, the set of rules. And I think basically it's that targeting process where the Israelis are like, well, we do have the process, but our view about what is acceptable as a result of this is different. Um, uh, and that's where the debate is. And, and it's, a, it's, a, it's an awful shame. I think strategically, it's probably, I think Netanyahu is leading Israel into a much more dangerous strategic environment uh, the, by continuing like this. And we're um, just one brief one to finish though. So Will Israel be encouraged almost by the fact that other actors in the area haven't become involved in trying to target it in response to the outrages taking place in Gaza? I think the initial worry for them would have been if Hezbollah uh, had attacked yeah. once the ground invasion began. So I think, you know, actually for the whole world, we, we could be thankful that we've passed that sort of moment of greatest um, worry, as it were. I don't know. It's too delicately poised, Matt, really. You know, you've also said that today you've had the Jordanian foreign minister saying if if uh, Palestinians are like forcefully ejected from Gaza Strip, that would be for them akin to a declaration of war. Now, that may well be just a, a statement. Jordan has usually been a close UK and US ally in the region, but it does show you the degree of anger and how delicately poised this could be um, going forward. So I think in, in the answer to your question, we're not out of the woods yet, and neither is Israel, of course. Patrick Bury, thank you very much for joining us. Your last word, 087 The last word with Matt Cooper. Weekdays from 4.30. Today.